Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, this is our 248th meeting on the New Testament, and uh, we are in the book of Revelation, and we're, we're making time. We're in chapter 14. There's 22 chapters in Revelation, so after this week, and we're taking Christmas, kind of comes into play, and we'll finish in February, and then we'll start into the Old Testament. We're going to start in the book of Genesis. Um, we'll be a year in the book of Genesis, because there's a lot of chapters in Genesis. That's kind of, I know what I'm doing next year. Uh, Genesis. So, uh, it's very important. I think you'll learn a lot, and I hope you have, those of you who've been coming. As we have looked through the New Testament a chapter at a time, um, we have read the New Testament every time we've gotten together. So, if you have made it for the majority of that, you've had most of the New Testament, you've read along with me as I read to you all those verses. Um, we'll do the same thing through the Old Testament, which will take us 15 years. And uh, I hope, you know, if even along the journey you get one thing out every time, one something, that's a significant deal. Context is extremely important when it comes to the scriptures and um, the ability to understand um, that, that the way the Bible was written, inspired by the Holy Spirit um, through human authors, and yet they were oftentimes writing to specific situations and questions and, and uh, in times and, and places um, that, that impact what was being written. It's still just as alive for us today in context. What we have to be very careful of is taking it out of context and trying to make it fit into a situation that it doesn't fit. And so one of the reasons it's so important to study the scripture in context is to be careful with that and to um, look at it for yourself and, and then you're aware of things that um, are going on around you. In the, we have Bible Institute during the week with our young leaders and one of the things we talked about came up in our discussion today, just because things come up in discussion, um, we, we were talking about money and oftentimes you will hear people misquote the scripture and say money is the root of all evil. But you know that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil and it's significantly different. Those two, that's a, that's a huge difference between money is the root of all evil and love uh, of money is the root of all evil. It's really a big difference. But there's a lot of little nuance in the scripture like that that people have heard and just taken in and, and because they're not taking time to go and read and find out what it's really saying, you can, you can be swayed like that. There's a lot of that prevalent in today's, uh, in today's world. And so we have to be careful that we haven't sort of logged something as Bible that's really not. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we take so much time to work through the Scripture together and uh, keep it as the, the forefront and the foundation of all that we do. And um, why I encourage you and will continue to encourage you to find that time every day to read a little bit of the Bible. Just try and do it every day. I know life is busy, and I know, but try and find it and, and um, make it a habit. Make it so that uh, if, and you know, it's like most habits. If you do it for, you know, three weeks, four weeks, when you don't do it, you'll miss it. You want that to start happening in your life. That, that oh, I missed my Bible time. I want to get back to it, and you'll make it up. So um, it should never be a chore. It's a, it's a joy. And... Um, you know, if you don't understand, some people tell me sometimes, well, I don't understand it, then ask questions. Um, you know, write down what you don't understand and, and then ask people, hey, what do you think that means or what does that look like? And pray about it. And, and God will illuminate those things to you so that you, you don't use that as an excuse um, or a, a discouragement or a distraction in reading the Bible. Now, we have a very real enemy 
and I, and I say this a lot, his favorite things for Christians, um, you know, you, you're, in, you're in the kingdom now, he can't do that. But if he can distract you from, from reading the Bible and from praying by keeping you too busy, um, it, it virtually renders you ineffective and it steals life from you. That's his, he'll, he'll settle for that. Um, he, he's, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, you're in the kingdom now, so he can't kill and destroy you, but he'll steal as much as he can away from you still. And those are some of his favorite ways of doing it. Just distract you enough so that you stop reading the scripture and stop praying. And then you just sort of are lulled into the fear and worry of our culture, and there's no life there. So just take that as a little encouragement at no extra charge to you this evening. I don't know why I said that. But. So <laughs> we're in Revelation 14 uh, today. And as we move into Revelation 14, I know we didn't meet last week because of the night of thanks. Um, so, you know, let me remind you that, that in Revelation 13, um, we had just seen the release of the evil one, basically, and his false, evil, unholy trilogy, uh, trinity, pardon me, onto the world scene and, and all the havoc that was taking place. But now we move into 14, and um, we, we are returned to the side of the lamb again and, and it's like we get this um, needed look into eternity and what awaits believers um, especially as they're enduring all this mess that's happening believers if they're, if they're there during the tribulation period and, and so we, we see an angel proclaim the message of the eternal gospel to every nation, tribe, language and people in the, in the sixth verse and um, th- those believers that are being persecuted, they're encouraged to have patient endurance and obey God's commandments and remain faithful in the midst of this season. Um, but we'll also see that for those who have chosen to worship the beast and his image um, that, and taken on his mark, that another angel, angel issues a message of judgment that, talk about, that talks about drinking the wine of God's fury, um, which has been poured full strength in the cup of his wrath and that there's no rest for them any longer. Um, and we see that picture of God's judgment um, also in Revelation 14. So they're a very heavy sort of chapter. And um, you, so sometimes when you're looking through Revelation, um, some of these events, I believe, aren't, they're not all happening chronologically. They're, they're moving around from situations as John has revealed certain things. Because I think in the first part of Revelation 14, you get a glimpse of um, the, the, the guys who have made it all the way through to the end while these events are still happening. So you, you kind of have to weigh that in to Revelation. Remember, I've also said that there's a lot of um, ways to interpret the book and that um, theologians for the last 2,000 years have had different ways of looking at it that are all good ways of looking at it um, and have impact. You know, some people believe that um, all of the events of Revelation have already happened, that they happened during the Apostle John's lifetime. Um, some people believe that none of it will ever happen. It's completely symbolic about good and evil. Uh, some people believe that um, it's a picture of hap- church ages um, from throughout time. Those seven churches represent different ages, and these events are interspersed. Um, I, I generally hold to a futurist viewpoint which means I don't believe that once we hit chapter 4 that we're waiting for chapter 4 on to take place. And, um, and so that impacts the way that I teach, I know. But I try and be up front with you and say I, that's where I'm coming from. I, I, but I don't discredit some of the other interpretations. There's a lot of good stuff in there and a lot of very 
you know, a lot of theologians way better than, than me at explaining it and where they're at. And so um, my encouragement is to always look into it to see what can be revealed to you about Jesus because it's a revelation of Jesus Christ and how that can impact you um, as you as you move through this life. And all this stuff's going to work itself out um, when Jesus comes back, which I, you know, all those viewpoints would say is coming. So, um, so how that looks and what it looks like at the end times and if the church is here, if the church has been caught up to Jesus beforehand and we're waiting this seven-year out thing out so we can come back with him in Revelation 19 um, and that these events that we're reading about now are believers who get saved during this tribulation time and they're the ones that are going through this. Um, I don't know how that all works. Or if the church is still in it and we, we ride it out for half of it or we ride it out for the whole thing. Um, I'm not sure how all that works. We're going to see when it happens. But what, what we have to know is that Jesus is coming back, and that's all that matters. And whatever it looks like until he comes back, it's going to be worth it when he gets back. And it will make everything that you endure worth it from, from this point until then. So, Revelation 14, let me read it to you. It's 20 verses. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the NIV. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths, they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of water. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which make, made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice,
We've had the, the first fruits was the first harvest every year in Israel with just a really small crop. And that would be Jesus and those 700 or so or 500 guys that popped out of the grave, first little harvest. Second harvest would be at Pentecost, a much bigger harvest, but not the big one at the end of the summer. And there we had 3,000 added to the church, big harvest. And then the, the last harvest is the one at the end of the summer. That's the great big one. We're waiting on that prophetically. And that's the fifth feast, and that's trumpets. And so what we're waiting on is it trumpets, and what it says happens at that feast is that there's people in the fields working, and at trumpet sound, the believers take off and go to worship, and nobody else does. And I think it's a prophetic picture of Jesus coming back for his bride, which we've also studied, at trumpet sound. We hear the trumpets as his bride. Whoop, we're caught up to him. We're having our little banquet time for seven years while all this mess sort of gets taken care of, and then we come back with Jesus in chapter 19, and we go from there. Um, while we have that seven-year period, though, people are still, people who didn't come to know Jesus have an opportunity, as we've been seeing in the beginning there of Revelation, there are many opportunities to repent, and people do repent and change, and so I believe these 144,000 are a representation of those people who have come to know Christ during that period of time. And, um, you know, that number is, a, it's a number, it's 12 times 12, um, you know, there's, those 12 things are very important in Scripture, symbolically, about what's happening. That's how I see it happening. The idea of them being pure as virgins, also symbolic, um, and it talks about them remaining spiritually pure during this ridiculous, crazy time of this seven-year period when everything had moved into utter chaos. And, and uh, you know, the, the, uh, the things of the world system, which are in place now, um, which are seductive in all sorts of ways, you know, power and wealth and um, all the immorality that's around us. But to, to walk this thing out, we need to stay true to Jesus. And, and, you know, we have to live in that, but we don't have to be overcome by it. And so we see a lot of that now. At that point in time, during that last period, it's going to be far worse. And these um, believers are representative. There's those who chose to follow Jesus all in and weren't defiled by, the, um, by the, the, you know, the world system and the, the tricks of the evil one. Throughout the Old Testament, we would see the people of Israel referred to as, um, as, a, as a woman who wasn't faithful. And, and um, that, that, you know, that was, that's sort of the picture going on as well in the process. Anybody, men, not picking on women, but, but that, how the Bible was often, you know, talked about that situation and why that's in there again. Um, unfaithfulness. Um, the, this 144,000 were representative people, and I believe men and women, who were faithful in the period of time to God. And um, that what happens with them um, is that they, reserve, they then receive eternal blessing and benefits that come with the eternal life that we find in God. And so even today, you know, I'd say that that idea of staying pure um, is about living by trying to do the next right thing. We live in accordance with God's principles, um, with the empowerment of the Spirit, and even when we don't get it you know, quite right, we run to God and ask for forgiveness, and He empowers us then to do the next right thing, and we get a new start. But that's all part of this process that we're to be living now the best that we can. Verses 6 and 7, um, some people leave those verses that um, the angel comes and gives the good news. Some people see this as their absolute last chance to respond to the gospel. This is the last opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. Others believe that it's more of a, it's sort of the final judgment, that they're hearing it again, they've rejected it so many times, they're gonna reject it again, but they need to know why they're about to suffer through the wrath of God 
It's because they have over and over and over and over and over rejected the good news and all the promises that come from it. And, and there was a stated you know, warning in time that they needed to repent and they refused to do that. Um, and, and you have to understand it's a choice. It's a choice all of us have in this life. We get to choose in this life whether or not we want to spend eternity with God. And, and the way that you choose that is you choose to spend now. Um, if you choose not to spend life with God, God honors your choice throughout eternity. And that's hard for some people to grasp, but he's just honoring your choice. He wants you to spend time with him forever. And he gives you every opportunity now for you to choose to do that. But if you choose not to do that, that choice is yours. And he won't, he won't, un, you know, he won't force you now or forever. But your choice is made now. And, and uh, that's the message that takes place in the process and um, enemies of the people of God well, John is writing at a time when the Roman Empire is just like that, but it's not like he can sit there and write about the Romans with them breathing down his neck, because <laughs> that wouldn't have been smart. And so um, I, I think he was using the, the Babylon as a symbol of every empire that stands against God, and the Romans were certainly doing that at that point in time. And, um, you know, they were persecuting Christians, trying to destroy Christianity. The, the, the crazy Caesar at the time, Nero, um, had so many issues and he had done so many stupid things that he decided to blame it on the Christians and wipe them all out and um, persecuted the church hor horrifically there in the beginning but you know the church survives persecution because it's the church and there's a promise to the church that the gates of Hades will not overcome it and it can't uh, no matter what it can't then verses 9 through 11 is this the people that accepted the mark and worship the beast would face then the judgment of God and the ultimate judgment of God is unending separation from him that's the that's the big deal and the reason that's so horrific is you're actually created with um, an inborn desire to fellowship with God he puts it in every one of us we choose to either go with it or not but if you choose not and then at some point it's too late to choose the misery of that is that you, you, you can't reconnect at some point. And, and uh, um, sin destroys our relationship with God, but, but in Christ we have a choice to repent and have our relationship with God restored and reconciled. So he's made a way for us all to be restored. Um, and, you know, our sin, you, you know, when you think about it, see, it's all tossed back at Adam and Eve. They chose for you. Um, you, then after that, you were born with a sinful nature. Everybody here sinned. You, you, had, you were going to sin. You, you had a sin nature. You didn't, it's not like you could choose at that point in time. Now, in Christ, you can choose again. You're no longer a slave to sin. Now you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to have some victory over sin. Um, I don't, we don't get it perfect now because we still will selfishly choose to sin sometimes. That's just part of our daily walk um, that we are hoping to overcome. But, but you, you were born into that sin nature, and then... But there's a cure, and that's in Christ. But you have to choose it. And, and uh, he gives people every opportunity to do that time and time and time and time again. And then in verses 12 through 19, those are that whole 
picture of the sickles and the grapes and the, the press and the wrath of God and the blood in the streets. It's a picture of judgment. And this, this last sort of harvest time will be great for believers, but not for unbelievers. And um, when you, when you I, I think it's difficult sometimes to comprehend the judgment and, and reading about it, uh, it, it, it impacts us in all sorts of ways. But unless we understand the um, horror of sin and its consequences and its impact, and, and unless we see it, we'll never figure out our own need for grace and mercy of God. The realization of the judgment of God allows us to understand our need for the mercy of God. And, and that's what causes us to repent and move in the right direction. Um, if, if, you, if you just saw God as the eternal good old boy who's not, doesn't, you know, going to make it all right at the end, you would never repent and change. And that's not the heart and character of God. He's forever good and faithful, but there's a point where he honors your choice. I like to think about that with God. He just honors your choice. And, and uh, everyone has a choice. But the choice is made now, and that choice impacts forever. So I think that's pretty important and that we understand that. Because it changes the way that we live and the way that we live around people and it gives us purpose and mission that we want to love people and, and encourage people. And I mean, you know, I think you love people into the kingdom, me personally. Um, so I'm, I'm, we go out of our way to try and do that. I do. I don't think you scare people in. They don't make good disciples. Because um, if people are scared in, they don't, it's, it's not very healthy. Um, so you want them to be loved in. And yet now it gives us a reason to be less um, self-focused and more other-focused because Jesus is coming back and uh, you know, we want to see people come to know him. We want this to be, want to move people from that being a day that they would dread to a day that they look forward to. And that's why the church has mission. That's our mission. That's our purpose. And uh, the harvest is great. Jesus said, get workers out in the field. And we're waiting, in, you know, prophetically in these two feasts where we've seen Pentecost come. That next feast is coming at trumpet sound. Jesus is coming back, and the harvest is over. So um, we need to be vigilant and plugged in and always grateful and thankful for the mercy and the grace and the amazing love of God who, who desires, you know, hold that in the thought. He desires that everyone would choose to have relationship with him throughout time. That's the heart of God and the desire of God. But the choice is ours. And uh, that's another harsh reality, but it's part of the deal. Anyway, good enough for tonight. Uh, lots of stuff happening in Revelation. More and more stuff happens. Starting with next week, the vile judgments begin. The last series of seven. We've sort of been in this little holding pattern from the, from the last seven. Uh, the seventh trumpet is sounded, which releases the first of the vile judgments. But there were bold judgments, but they haven't happened yet. And uh, so that's coming uh, next. All right? So, um, good. If you're watching my video, thank you. Come and see us uh, whenever you can. We'd love to see you. And that will be good for tonight.